Welcome to the Bazooka Luca Podcast. You're the head on the spear. You're the nail on the cross. You're the fly in my field. You're the key that got lost. You're the letter from Jesus on the bathroom wall. Your mother's superior with only a bra. You're the same. You're the same. You're the same. Got a bad as me. And now here's your host, Luca Andy. I'm the head on the bed. Sing it, Tom. Uh, that is, of course, the one, the only Tom Waits. Bad as me is the song from the upcoming album of the same name. Can't wait for that one. The man can do no wrong in my eyes and ears. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bazooka Luka Podcast, episode number 11. Coming to you from the compound, and as always, taped in front of a live studio audience. Okay, that was clearly a lie. It's, it's just me here, alone, as always. But in a little while, I will be joined by my good friend, Crystal. And we will be talking about nostalgia. Oh, nostalgia. How you take me back. Sigh. Also, a little bit later, a new segment called Yeah, I Said It. Now get over it already. This is a feature I started on the blog at bazookaluka.com a while back. I believe uh, the first one was an essay about how PETA is uh, detrimental to the animal rights movement. And it is. Uh, but now I've, I've got an, uh, an entirely different topic. Astrology. So uh, we'll see how it translates to this uh, audio format. Will it work? The only one way to find out. Suspense. Yeah. So, uh, listen to that a little later. But first, uh, what do you say we listen to a new song by the band Girls off their new album, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. The song is called Honey Bunny, and it starts now. Nope. Now.
just uh, making sure you're speaking into the mic, which is very important when you're yes. trying to capture things. I know. For a podcast. It's true, because it has to be spontaneous. Yeah. And um, if you don't commit it to tape, per se, tape, because there's no tape involved, then uh, it's just like you didn't say it. It's lost forever. It is. All that's left is your memory. And your memory is uh, not reliable. No, not reliable at all. No. And um, anyway. Are you we actually were, recording right now? Of course I am. <laughs> we, we already started. Uh, when did you start? Uh, just a few moments ago. Okay. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Nothing <laughs> Nothing embarrassing was committed to tape this time. All right. Good. Not yet. Anyway. So let me uh, introduce you to everybody. Uh, Crystal, say hello. Hello, everybody. Crystal is here with me in the compound. I am. Uh, how do you like the compound? I think it's lovely. It's Isn't it? far fancier than I imagined. Yeah, I get that a lot. Uh, I think people imagine it to be uh, a bare uh, kind of space. Mm-hmm. Space, you know how much I like that word. Yes. Um, they imagine like an industrial warehouse kind mm-hmm. of feel. Or a dungeon. A dungeon, perhaps, yes. Like a, like a stone walls. Yeah, uh, kinda really cold. Cold, and but damp, which yes. makes it even worse. Like, kind of like that scene in True Blood. Lafayette and the vampires. Yeah, and the vampire kind of dungeon where mm-hmm. uh, they feed on him and, and, and whatnot. That guy, or he like digs into his leg and... Yeah, yeah. Or no, it was his butt because he was had the metal butt? plates in his butt and then that he like took it out to protect himself. It's been a long time since I've seen the yeah. first season, so I don't remember all that. But uh, yeah, I mean, people imagine it to to be someplace like that, and I have no idea why. Why? Why would why would people think like think I would live and occupy such a such a hostile space? Is it mm. is it the the tone of the podcast hostile? Do you think? Mm, maybe not so much. Perhaps it's the the word compound oh, and what that right. suggests. Yeah. It sounds very industrial, very almost militaristic. Yeah, I guess maybe that was my fault. I should have called it the Bazooka Luke. Uh, uh, what's a good word? Mm, uh, commune studio. No, studio. Yeah, mm. that's overused. Yeah, but um, why are we talking about this? Who I don't cares? know. Well, it's fine. Uh, you know, we start these things however we start them, and we uh, just keep going, and that's how uh, this podcast is made. That's how the sausage is made. Wow, as they say. Hmm. Yes, the sausage. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't mean that as in a, in, a, in a kind of, I didn't mean to sexualize this to make it, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think this, this podcast is a sausage fest. Would you characterize it? I've had most no, of my guests have all. been, uh, have in, been fact, women, in fact, yeah. yeah, I think Riley and Kyle may be the only male guests that have they, been on the show. They, they are. Yeah. And, and my father. Oh yes. But, Can't forget that. That's yeah. maybe one of my favorites. That is a good one. I, I, I'm glad I, I could pull that off. But, uh, anyway, so. I kind of have you on today because, um, I don't know, you know, like uh, we, we've been trying back and forth to figure out something we could talk about because, you mm-hmm. know, I wanted to have you on the podcast and, and you are an avid listener and I appreciate that. I am. Um, and, you know, it is my policy here at uh, the Bazooka Luka podcast to have any listener and every listener be a guest at some point. Wow. Yeah. So that's that's a promise. If you're listening to this, you can be a guest and just set it up with me and we'll ha- I'll have you on. And this is easy as that. What a promise. I know. It's 
it's it's it's uh, it's something I like to offer. And I don't know, I don't know if think people think it's an honor at all, but uh, I do. <laughs> well, and that's why you're here. <laughs> so you know, I I thought um, maybe we could talk about nostalgia for a bit. Um, it's it's kind of a of a popular uh, concept. A lot of people um, are keenly aware of, of nostalgia and how it works in their everyday life and mm-hmm. how things are marketed um, their way through nostalgia and, and how they experience things and whatever. So being that it's, um, it's fall, you know, summer has kind of turned into fall. And um, usually I find that with the, the changing of seasons, there seems to be a, an uproar in nostalgia because people... Yeah. Uh, associate certain events with seasons like you know summer you associate with maybe i don't know going to the beach or being at a pool fireworks yeah backyard barbecues so it's it's evocative you you all of a sudden you remember smells you remember the smell of the ocean you remember the smell of charcoal and they're very associated with a season so fall what do you associate with fall it's interesting because fall is actually the most nostalgic season for me. Yeah. There's something about when the weather starts getting cooler and it's actually the coldest day. It's, I think, been since it became t- kind of fall season. But, you know, George is weird yeah, for that. Definitely. But like the moment that happens, I just immediately get transported to all of these different memories. Yeah. Um, it, it seems that all of my very significant romantic relationships have started in the fall. Okay. That's so inevitably that brings all of these different memories to the forefront. Um, my music listening taste kind of shift. Okay. I find myself kind of listening to things that I guess bring me back to past memories of the fall. Okay. In fact, I made a nostalgia playlist today on Spotify. Really? If you're friends with me, it's called Remember. Uh, remember and is it like ellipsis or it's a question, question mark. mark okay yeah good good uh what, what what's on that playlist by the way so most of the songs i put on there were um were uh, songs that i listened to when i was in my early 20s maybe not even in my early 20s but like right after graduating high school okay so i've got a couple of dismemberment plan songs good stuff. um I have a Jeff Buckley tune. Mm-hmm. What else is on there? Um, I've got some Weezer. Yeah, good uh, stuff. From Pinkerton. Um, their best album. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, Maybe their last best album. Yeah, well, <laughs> the, last. the blue one wasn't bad. No. No, the blue one was the first one, though. Like, Pinkerton came out second. Oh, yeah, that's true. Yeah. For some reason, I always thought Pinkerton was earlier. I guess because yeah. it is better, and for some reason, I always... There's this assumption like that if it's album. first, yeah. it's probably going to be better. Yeah. Not always. But it's usually the case. Like I, you know, I, I have this conversation with somebody I know how I found myself saying so many times that like, oh, the, that band, yeah, their first couple albums are great. And then they kind of went to shit. And it's just like, I say that a lot. And it seems like the first couple of albums are usually the best ones in mm-hmm. a lot of bands. Like, and, and that's kind of sad too because like uh there's bands that have uh a long career and they just seem to get better and better and better Mm -hmm. or have like periods which are great you know in the middle of their career and that seems to be the more interesting bands whereas bands that seem to blow up right away with this great album 
then it's harder to follow that, you mm-hmm. know, and, and they tend to fade away. But uh, going back to the nostalgia thing, um, so how do these, how's hearing these songs make you feel? Does it, does it transport you back to a certain time? Does it remind you of, of, of certain experiences? What, uh, what, it, what, what specifically do you enjoy uh, listening to older songs? Yeah, and it, you'd think that some of the songs would make me feel sad because they remind me of like the beginning of new relationships, uh-huh. but they actually make me feel very excited, like fun times are ahead. I don't know. Um, really? I guess because, you know, in October, Halloween is happening and then right. we have Thanksgiving and then we have Christmas and I'm such a sucker for holiday related gatherings and themed things. And so it okay. kind of brings the excitement of a new relationship with the excitement of sharing these holidays with that person. And so it just like triggers this just very uplifting, um, very youthful. Like it makes me feel really young. Okay. So, young so it again. is like an evocative <laughs> experience. Like, mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's a specific thing or a very general thing. Um, it depends. Like it's, Sometimes it's very specific. Like, like I'll remember very specific uh, instances being in my car and um, like I was listening to that Dismemberment Plan album when I went on my first road trip by myself to Tennessee to visit a boyfriend. And um, so a lot of my memories are triggered of me being in the car and listening to that music at that time. And I think the car is always great for music because it's it's one of the few places that you you listen to music it's um you know you listen to music at home maybe or at work or whatever situation but like car is always a place you listen to music and mm-hmm. just being america being a very car driven culture and you have to drive a lot of places because otherwise you can't get anywhere um the car tends to be like the number one uh place where people listen to music and that's why radio is huge and mm-hmm. even still to this day that's why, you know, every car now has an iPod jack because uh, it's it's a very important place for, for music listening. And I, I think that's why a lot, you know, a lot of nostalgic feelings are tied to your car. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I remember being in college and I would just drive around just because I needed A, to be alone for a little bit because I lived in the same room with somebody else and it's, you don't really have any privacy in a dorm room. So, you end up like going in your car and just driving around, listening to music. And that's what I would do. I would just, you know, get, just get in the car and drive. And, uh, and so I have a lot of memories tied to that. I remember uh, Radiohead's OK Computer, which came out in 97. And that was mm-hmm. my freshman year of college. And I, that album to me is, is tied to being in my car. And I was driving a Geo Metro at the uh, time. <laughs> what color was it? It was red. Oh, nice. Uh, you know, two-door, really tiny car. And I listened to OK Computer on cassette tape in that car a lot. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever I hear that album now, I do kind of go back. It, trans- it transports me uh, to that time. Um, and I think that's that's a very powerful thing. Um, uh, those those collective memories of of being in a place and hearing something it's you know it's it it involves a lot of senses i guess and it makes it a more powerful memory perhaps mm-hmm. you know nostalgia obviously it has uh, different kind of meanings uh i think originally nostalgia it was meant as a negative connotation interesting yeah i think um it was even seen as uh, a disease 
at some point. Um, it was uh, it was tied to like homesickness, and I know a lot of uh, especially like in the army. Like mm-hmm. if you're in the army and you were really homesick, they would like diagnose you with nostalgia. Wow. And almost like you could be like kicked out because of it because some people were so homesick. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's kind of taken a, a different meaning now, especially with with the way that so many uh, products are, are being marketed. Because uh, nostalgia, since it is such a powerful, evocative kind of feeling, it, it can be used to sell you things very right. well. Well, that's why advertisements work, because yeah. they evoke some sort of feeling. And right. they make you think, well, if you buy this product, then you're going to have this feeling for yourself and it's going to yeah. make it's you feel happy. It's going to make you feel good. Or... It's going to take you back to when life was simpler or mm-hmm. whatever. I feel like Coca-Cola is oh, one yeah, of the best examples of that. They're great at that, yeah. And they actually, I mean, they do have really good advertisements, but um, they do a really good job of uh, yeah, associating Yeah, especially around feelings. Christmas is like one of their, mm-hmm. their biggest, uh, you know, like you'll have the ads in magazines or even billboards everywhere of like that very stylistic kind of christmas coca-cola thing well and isn't it wasn't it coca-cola the advertisement um with santa claus Mm -hmm. isn't that where the our like current our uh, current depiction of santa in america came from Ooh, I don't know. I'm about pretty that. sure that's the case. Yeah. Well, it, he does match the colors of Coca-Cola very well. It's true. How appropriate. <laughs> yeah. Did Coca-Cola invent Christmas? <gasps> oh have. my God. It's a big conspiracy. <laughs> <laughs> they well, they certainly benefit from it. And it's such a weird thing because I don't I don't associate Coca-Cola with Christmas. I don't either. I don't even really drink Coke sense. that much. It's just like I don't think of drinking Coke on Christmas Day at all. No. Like that's not a thing. But those Christmas ads are, are, are you know, a huge cultural thing mm-hmm. that, that everybody seems to be aware and of. the polar bear. And the polar bears and all that um, stuff. But, I mean, how, where do you stand on, on using or exploiting nostalgia f- to sell stuff? Hmm. I wouldn't say that I'm against it necessarily. Mm-hmm. I mean, in general... Uh, exploiting our i mean advertising is exploiting our emotions so i don't think you can advertise without doing that yeah um so i wouldn't say that i am against it necessarily but i definitely think it's something that we should pay attention to and be wary of right from time to time um you know why we buy things and why we're drawn to certain things and um why certain advertisements are more effective than others yeah Uh, i definitely think it's something that's important to pay attention to and how it shapes our lives and how we identify yeah. with objects and with ourselves. And Yeah, I think, um, you know, another thing with how Hollywood kind of operates nowadays is, is just remakes because, mm-hmm. you know, they're easier to market because people already know what it is. But also, like, I found the, the whole 80s cartoon uh, as action movie thing like transformers right and gi joe those things that i grew up with i found that to be fascinating because it completely missed the point i think Mm -hmm. like with transformers movie like the cartoon didn't make any sense like i don't even remember why the hell transformers were on earth yeah they were they had like some human friends why (laughs) they were fighting the decepticons It it, it didn't matter to me at the time when i was a kid 
I was just I liked experiencing the cartoon because it's something like, completely different yeah. from the way your everyday life is. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's just like oh, the truck transform into a big robot. How of cool course. is that? It's I don't <laughs> give a shit about the plot. Who gives it? I don't care. It's just it doesn't matter when you're you know seven years old. Mm-hmm. Um. So it was just funny that like the movies, and I've only seen the first one. I never saw any other ones because the first one was terrible. I actually haven't seen any of them. Well, keep it that way. You're not missing <laughs> anything. Um, how you know they tried to give it meaning? How mm-hmm. they tried to 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 make it seem somewhat realistic, or 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 that it matters. And it's just like I don't care. It's just like you. Know, they could make it work just by showing me what I cared about when I was seven, which is. Oh, that truck transformed into a robot and now he's fighting another robot. That's all I cared about because it's a cool visual to see. Right. It's not it's not something that you see in everyday life. Mm-hmm. So it was weird how they tried to capitalize on nostalgic feelings towards these older cartoons, but in doing so completely missed a point and just went somewhere else with it. And um and I found that to be very insulting. <laughs> and maybe that's, I guess, where the line gets crossed with yeah. nostalgia and exploiting nostalgia for the purpose of making money. Yeah. yeah. Um, where you completely alter, yeah, the very purpose of, you know, when it was created. And so can we, can we really recreate? Yeah. And at that I point, know. I think it's just, a, it's just name recognition, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. it's just like, well... People will go see it. Yeah, and even if they go, go see it, it once, they're still making yeah. bank off of exactly. this really terrible film. Yeah. Um, but in that way, that's that's where I see uh, the exploitation of nostalgia to be just, you know, reprehensible. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then you have the situation like with uh, the Scream movies. Yeah. Or I guess lots of horror movies where they've, lots of time has passed between however, you know, many movies they'd made. And then, you know, like with the recent Scream 4 or 5, I guess, that came out. 4, I think four. It was, yeah. um, And I went and saw it, and it was terrible, but yeah. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, yeah. I guess because they were all really bad, you know. But they did, yeah. I mean, I think the good part, um, they kept, you know, the original cast right, and everything. Right. And so you recognized everyone. And, yeah. you know, of course, you're curious, like, where are they now, you know, yeah, yeah. in their plot line of their lives. and. I guess um, I didn't. I didn't see the new one. I I did see all the other ones too, and I remember seeing. I think I saw most of the other ones in the theater. Maybe not the third one, but the first two definitely. Um, and it's funny. So like you, you, you got excited about seeing these characters again. Yeah, it was really fun. Yeah. Huh. And I guess that's maybe just because you know the story was interesting, and it was very uh, self-referential always. That's mm-hmm. what I always. That's what kind of people liked about the screen movies that it was a horror movie that knew its own limitations by and and they completely were open with them you know it's just like well this is what happens in horror movies and it's supposed to be campy yeah and even in scream 4 they actually kind of point to the ways that certain things become commodified and so uh nev campbell's character Mm -hmm. like she wrote this book and you know it's her like at the beginning of the movie at this book signing and then when she and she comes to her hometown i guess to give a talk about the book yeah. and it's halloween of course of course and so people have decorated the whole town with the with the scream mask and uh, so it transformed from this really tragic awful thing that happened to people she knew into this like funny you know joke that yeah, you yeah. know 
represented Halloween. And then, of course, somebody starts killing people. Oh, of course. Of course. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but because it's so ubiquitous, everybody's yeah. wearing that mask. It's so weird that, that... You don't know who it is. I guess in in that person in, in nev campbell's character like it it just keeps happening and happening that's just mm-hmm. uh, it's really sad actually <laughs> it really is like <laughs> if, you, if you take it out of like the campy horror movie thing and just actually think about it like and put the whole body of work together of, of four movies that's been so far it's just like wow that's that is a one in a trillion story right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Somebody who keeps going to places and people just end up getting killed around them in the same like context. Like with, it's always the guy in the mask. And of course. What, and there's always some sort of weird backstory that's involved in it. But um, but yeah, that's uh, it's odd. Maybe I should see that. Yeah, I mean, it's not good, <laughs> but it's good. But it's something we know and yeah. we're familiar with. And that's the point, I guess. So I guess that's where the line... The very precarious place. Like Scream 4 was really good, but the Transformers movies were terrible. Yeah, yeah. So, and I mean, I'm sure it's probably different from person to person too. Like what you associate with Yeah, and some people it. enjoy them. And, you know, it seems like um, when the Star Wars movie, the new Star Wars movies mm-hmm. came out, uh, the, the, the pre-trilogy or whatever, um, I was kind of surprised how many kids were into it. But we're going to those movies because it's like, well, you weren't even around when the original movies came out and right for for like a long time <laughs> like you were born like 10 or 12 or 15 years after the first movie came mm-hmm. out um but i was kind of surprised how many kids were there and knew about it but then i also i mean i shouldn't have been because it's star wars it's a right. huge cultural thing and it's and they are kind of kids movies they are made for kids like the originals were were kids movies they were science they were science fiction and they obviously a lot of adults liked them and enjoyed them, but they were essentially like kids' stories. And uh, that's what gave them that kind of universal charm. Mm-hmm. Um, Relatable to everyone yeah. in some way. Yeah. So it was, it was, uh, it's odd to see the, 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 the power of that, uh, of how universal they are. And um, even, even though they didn't have to like market it through nostalgia, you know, it's just like, you don't have to say, like, oh, you can see Obi-Wan Kenobi when he was a younger guy mm-hmm. or whatever. Like, People are even... going to see it anyway yeah. because it's yeah. Star Wars. They don't even, like, some things are so culturally big that you don't even need to exploit the nostalgia mm-hmm. uh, point. I guess, I don't know, like, do you, see, do you see a lot of people relating to things even though they didn't experience them the first time? Through nostalgia, like I, I find that with with bands, like the the Nirvana thing that yeah, just happened. Yeah, yeah. It was the twentieth anniversary mm-hmm. of Nevermind, and I saw. You know, obviously there were so many articles about it everywhere, and I didn't feel an ounce of nostalgia, and I experienced it. Like I I was a Nirvana fan day one. You know, mm-hmm. like my sister had Bleach on tape, and. The first time I heard it, I was like, wow, this is amazing. And I was I was a kid, you know, I wasn't even into music. Like Nirvana, I would say, was like one of the first bands that really made me a music fan. Um, so, you know, I was in there from, from the ground floor and you'd think that it would have hit me to be like, wow, it's been 20 years since that came out. Yeah. And I would have been all about it. But I wasn't at all. And it, it's kind of surprising. And then to see all these other people be really into it, and being like, eh, I don't know, <laughs> like, right. I, don't, I don't buy it. I don't think it's it's authentic. 
Um, and it, it always bothers me. Like, do you, do you have you seen stuff like that? Like things, like because I've always I've said this before. Like, in order to be nostalgic about something, you have to have a ticket stub for it. Like, mm. you have to have been there. Yeah, you've had to have experienced it in order to be nostalgic about it. You can't not experience something and then be nostalgic about it because so, that nostalgia is just prefabricated at that point. Yeah, maybe. And I think that like similar to Star Wars, things that become such huge cultural symbols, like I feel like Nirvana definitely is. Mm -hmm. um, and so sometimes it's like you you hear about it, you know, all the time. And then something like that happens where, you know, 20 year anniversary and it comes out and you know, younger people start listening to it and maybe because, you know, it's marketed in a way that you feel like you should be nostalgic about it. Right. I don't right. know. And, and I, I, you know, it happens in music a lot. Like, um, there's, there seems to be, you know, like the, the, the high school starters kit of music mm -hmm. where, you know, so many people get into like the Beatles or Led Zeppelin and the Doors. Pink Floyd. Pink Floyd. And I listened Jim, to all of that when I Jimmy was in Hendrix, high school. I did as well. Yeah. And it's kind of, you're expected to it almost and it and, you know and it's a good thing because those albums those artists are kind of universally uh youth oriented i guess right like you're you know when you start taking drugs or whatever you're gonna appreciate pink floyd in high mm -hmm. school or something. actually <laughs> the first time i smoked pot with my sisters um can i say this on your podcast you can say whatever you want um my one of my sisters was like yeah you've got to listen to this pink floyd album while you yeah, go to yeah. sleep but watch out for the clock track <laughs> you know because it's going to wake you up it's going to freak you out and yeah, yeah. i will never forget that though like laying right. in the dark being stoned for the first time and hearing pink floyd yeah so you know like we didn't obviously i didn't i wasn't around in the late 60s early 70s so i didn't experience was, those pink things. floyd was my dad's first concert yeah so you're kind of, you are kind of reliving somebody else's nostalgia, but it still works. So maybe that's how Nirvana works too. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you you just see so many people talking about it, and you're exposed to them even before you understand what it is or right. have an interest in music. That you you're sort of grandfathered in into that nostalgia, uh -huh. but it's still I guess it still works. It's still yeah. it's still powerful. And right? I mean, who's to say that it's inauthentic? Yeah. Because I certainly, you know, there's a lot of bands that I've started listening to now that I feel like I'm like, God, I wish I had been listening to this when I was in high school because I would have loved this then. Yeah. Um, like the Riot Girl stuff. Mm -hmm. Like I was just a little bit too young to really be into that music, but right. it's totally something I would have been into then and something that I really enjoy now. Yeah. And um, there's a part of me that almost feels guilty listening to it now on like Spotify, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. And um, I'm like, but I wasn't there and right. I'm totally doing that thing where I have, and it's so accessible now, music is, yeah. you know, because we have these free resources, but I'm also broke. And so, you know, <laughs> I would buy the record if I could, but yeah, there's, I worry that like, is my enjoyment of this? Is this inauthentic? Right, right. And that's not a thing you should, think you know? no certainly not yeah. certainly not but I, i've i mean i've felt the same way about a lot of bands you know like 80s hardcore and punk mm -hmm. and all these things that i i was a i was a kid when they came out you know i was like five years old when this album came out there was no way i could have experienced it the way that um that it was by other people who right. were at the right age and at the right time and 
whatever. Yeah. And it, it shouldn't it shouldn't cheapen your experience. No. Right? And I mean everybody otherwise how could anybody relate to, you know, classical music? Totally. Or, or you know, Renaissance art mm-hmm. or whatever, you know, it's just I mean, I think that is the 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 power of art is that it is timeless in a lot of ways and you can relate to it at any point in history. Right. Um, because it is powerful. It is encompassing of the human experience. And so it should be relatable in any time. And it's always new. I mean, because yeah. we were so shaped by the present moment and by our environment. And so listening to music that was popular in the 60s, it's going to have that nostalgia because it came from a different time. But you're also going to be able to relate to it in a different way. Yeah. And so these songs are the same, but they're always changing as well. It's true. And and also changing as you get older as well. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, I if I go back and listen to, uh, you know, say I don't know, like Jimi Hendrix album or something, I I hear it in a different way than a, than I used to, and I think that's also kind of why it's it's interesting because it, it it becomes a part of you, mm-hmm. um, and it, and it times itself and and what meaning you gave to it when you were a kid. Like, I I would attach so much meaning to like one line in a song when right. I was 18. Like all I needed was one line that I really related to in a song and I would I would just insert whatever feelings mm-hmm. I wanted into that line and, and it made it so much important. Whereas I, I, w- I might go back and listen to it now and I'm like, this song doesn't make any <laughs> goddamn sense. Right. <laughs> and like it's just that one line. Like that's all, you know, but like the rest of the song doesn't make any sense. Like most of Jim Hendrix's lyrics are nonsensical. Mm-hmm. but it, it's it's interesting how when you know maybe when you're younger you're you're trying to to relate to it so much that that you 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 kind of project your feelings onto it and I then it we, becomes meaningful yeah. i don't think it's just a youth thing though i think we always do that yeah yeah whatever's going on in our life at but that it gets time. harder and harder to do that doesn't it like I guess it depends on the the music. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. there's some things that I probably couldn't now, <laughs> but maybe could then. Yeah, um, it's also interesting how, um, I guess you know, like, truthfully, nostalgia could also be a a traumatic kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, you know, do you have any any things that um, you have like tied to you know maybe being embarrassed. Or, or or things like that, that now when they get brought back up or you, you see them again, you're like, you, you feel that kind of same embarrassment. Mm-hmm. Sure. I, I, yeah. Do you have any? Oh, um, well, when the th- first thing that came to mind, um, really famous song, Summer Over the Rainbow from mm-hmm. Wizard of Oz. It was actually my first solo when I was in chorus back in elementary school. Yeah. And... Um, I, we were at rehearsal and I was so into the song and uh, I was really into it. And I closed my eyes and I, I guess when I was singing, I started flapping my arms, like <laughs> kind of like a bird, but to right. like the rhythm of the music. Interesting. And, I, and I think that's actually really special and really endearing. But of course, you know, I was yeah. in elementary school and everybody made fun of me. And I opened my eyes after the song was over and everybody was like making that motion with their arms. <laughs> oh, man. And like laughing to the, their friends. Not everyone, but it was subtle. But like. Yeah, it seemed like it was everyone. Right? Yeah. And um, so I remember like going to the performance and being really like 
very mindful of my body and like keeping my arms, you know, stick straight and, you know, paying attention to what I was doing, which may have ended up, you know, detracting from the the performance itself, (laughs) the song, the delivery. Um, So now every time you hear that song, do you think of that? Yeah, I can't help it. Yeah, no. Does it actually bring up a feeling of embarrassment in you? A little bit. I mean, now I can laugh at it because it's definitely funny. Right. Um, But it's certainly something that I will always think of whenever I hear that song. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. I guess that's that's about as much as we can cover through nostalgia today. Yeah, we could really go on forever. Yeah, we could. And, you know, I can't put it as uh, as well as, like, a Don Draper does. Like, do you remember the, the in the first season of Mad Men, like, there's the big uh, Kodak pitch when he's pitching, like, um, the projection wheel, like, you know, it shows, like, slides? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has, like, a whole spiel about nostalgia and how... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, it, it's 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 not a spaceship, but it's a time machine. Right. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it takes you back to a time when life was simple and easier and you were happy. And the interesting thing is, is that it never was. It, I, yeah, nostalgia yeah. is almost um, an invoking of emotion that may have never been. Yeah. You know, that you tie on to it later. Yeah. It's, it's all, like, grass is always greener. Yeah. And so the lesson here today is. You're fucking lying to yourself. You're fucking lying, Luca. <laughs> ah, I wanted to get you to scream at some point. <laughs> but uh, thanks uh, for talking to me today, Crystal. Thank you. I'm and honored. I'm glad I could finally have you on the podcast. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. didn't see you there. Please, come in. You just heard Bikini Kill, new radio, because Crystal referenced Riot Girl in her interview, and I thought, well, god damn it, I should play some Bikini Kill right as she was saying it. And, uh, and here we are. I imagined it, and then I made it happen. Lesson here? You too can accomplish 
simple, attainable goals if you later remember what they were. Take that all the way to bank. So, I promised you a new segment, and I plan on delivering on that promise. Yeah, I said it. Now, move on already. What can I say? I'm not much for brevity. Uh, is the new segment, but uh, before I get into it, I feel like I need a disclaimer. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's that controversial. So, uh, please, listen to this. In the segment, yeah, I said it, now move on already, Bazooka Luka attempts to dole out some simple truths about certain subjects. The maxims contained within might be suppressed by people out to derail the betterment of society. You yourself might even disagree with some of the following statements, and Bazooka Luka would humbly respect your opinion if it and you weren't, in fact, wrong. So listen up, friend, and please, get over it already. Let me guess a few things about you, my beloved listener. You have a tendency to be critical of yourself. At times, you have serious doubts as to whether you have made the right decision. While you do have some personality weaknesses, you are generally able to compensate for them. You prefer a certain amount of change and variety, and become dissatisfied when hemmed in by restriction and limitations. You pride yourself as an independent thinker. Some of your aspirations tend to be pretty unrealistic. Security is one of your major goals in life. Do most of these statements describe you? They should because they describe everyone. This little exercise is called the Forer Effect, named after psychologist Bertram R. Forer. In 1948, he conducted an experiment. He told his students that they were to be given a unique personality analysis. And then he asked these students to rate whether the descriptions were accurate. In reality, each student received the same exact descriptions, some of which I just listed. Not surprisingly at this point, you can guess that most of the students thought that the statements accurately described them, and were tailored specifically for them. These statements came to be known as the Barnum Statements, after P.T. Barnum, the carnival magnet and freak peddler that famously quipped, We've got something for everyone! He also said, There's a sucker born every minute! And you better believe that those two statements are definitely related. What am I getting at here? Well, Forer compiled that famous list of universal attributes from horoscopes that were being published in newspapers at the time. The horoscope and astrology as a whole is a widely spread example of a phenomenon called subjective validation, which is a cognitive bias. 
Subjective validation occurs when two unrelated events are seen as related because there's an expectancy or a belief that commands that relationship. Basically, people seek a correspondence between their perception of themselves and the contents of the horoscopes they read. Horoscopes drawn from astrological charts. Astrology is the belief that celestial bodies have influence over human events. Astrology is not a science. It is a pseudoscience because while it presents itself as being based on factual data, it makes no attempt to develop solutions to its problems, it shows no concern for competing theories, and it is selective in considering confirmations and disconfirmations. This is of course a fancy way of saying it's a gigantic load of Bullshit. Astrology was completely discredited with the birth of astronomy and modernist science. Astrology has been proven not consistent with theories that can be tested by experiments, the basis of the scientific method. Yet, astrology is still widely accepted and disseminated in modern society as not a superstition, but as prognostication. It is even validated by appearing in newspapers, magazines, and books, offering advice based on what is no more than general personality traits. The belief in it is so fervent, in fact, that in my experience, discussions with believers in astrology have often been more agitated than those I've had with dogmatic religious people. There's no factual defense to the claim that the placement of celestial bodies has somehow ever affected human affairs, and no proof has been presented of a mechanism behind this claim. Is it gravity that exerts the effect? If that were true, the gravity of your mother, the doctor and the nurses, or even the hospital bed on which you were given birth is greater than that of Jupiter, Mars, Venus, or any planet that could have had an effect on your birth. Should we be attributing traits to people by the amount of overall mass of furniture that occupied the room at the time of your birth? Because that would be just as random. Even if there is a still unknown celestial force that is responsible for your personality traits and overall destiny, Astrologists are not making any effort whatsoever to quantify it in meaningful scientific ways. It is not in their interest. They're just advice columnists at best and grifters at worst 
taking advantage of people's yearning for meaning and, and guidance in life. Ultimately, if you're seeking significance to the routine of your daily life, astrology is the wrong place to look because its accuracy is no better than chance. Worse still, the belief in this pseudoscience undermines the best explanatory system that we have in place. Actual science. So in turn, it's harmful to progress and the advancement of our society, which is something all of us should be working towards. So yeah, I said it. Astrology is a foolish superstition. Now move on already. Swag.
St. Vincent brings us to the close of this episode. I want to thank Crystal for talking to me today. I want to thank Elizabeth for making an out-of-context appearance. As always, visit the blog at bazookaluka.com. Please follow me on Twitter at bazookaluka, like my Facebook fan page, and leave feedback on iTunes. Speaking of iTunes, I feel like I should pay my respect and say thank you to the recently deceased Steve Jobs for allowing uh, podcasters like me to have a platform to publish our shows and uh, for even giving us the name podcast, even though I always feel a little silly saying it. But uh, thank you, Steve. Next episode will be the end of the first season of the Bazooka Luka podcast, so please come back for the grand finale. I leave you now with uh, Stephen Malcolmus. The song is called Senator, off of his new Mirror Traffic. Until next time, I bid you farewell. Have a good month. Love you. The toxins American made Weapons clash great sludge for migrants Dioxin, the chemical sunset The number one subset of all I know what the senator wants What the senator wants is a blowjob I know what the senator wants What the senator wants is a blowjob Motion to impeach Cattle prod the working classes There's some things you can't teach Cause we're fading back Like a stone Come
Thank you for listening to the Bazooka Luca podcast.